Good morning. We're going to be in the book of Genesis uh, this morning, and uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Cain, the way of Cain. And I know I've preached about Cain before, so, uh, so I know some of you probably keep a record of what I preached, maybe make a note in your Bible or something. So no, I did not forget that I preached on Cain before, but I, feel, I felt very strongly impressed to preach about um, the, the, the Apostle Jude. He mentions this phrase, uh, the way of Cain. And I felt led to speak to you uh, about this idea, the way of Cain. Now we know that the true way is Jesus Christ. And the early Christians, that's what they were called. Uh, you may not realize that, but Christians were actually called Christians by their enemies. That we, we didn't call ourselves Christians to begin with. The origin of our uh, calling, we called ourselves the way. Uh, because Jesus' statement in the upper room and where he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So the early Christians were known as the way. They weren't known as Christians until later on, and it was actually an, a, a put-down. It was actually uh, used as an insult, uh, kind of like some folks would use the term deplorable now. It would be the same kind of a idea. Um, so it was used as an insult. But the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus Christ. But I'm afraid that most people... In the world, the billions of people on the planet are not going uh, by the true way. They're going the way of Cain. And uh, Cain, I think we have misconceptions about him. I think that we, uh, we think that he was a... Okay. Is there any way you can get any more audio on, the mic on my microphone, Sam? Check one, two. That's a little bit better. Okay. We're having some problems with the, the, uh, the audio on Facebook, so thank you for pointing that out to us, whoever you were. <laughs> um, Cain, we have misconceptions about him. We think, I think we think of him as this uncouth knuckle-dragger. You know, that's the way the world portrays primitive man, is that he's dumb and he uh, doesn't know anything about anything and and I think and that we're so smart. You know, we live in uh, a generation that thinks we're the smartest people who ever lived. And I think the truth is, is that we're getting dumber and they were actually a lot smarter than we, we are. Because they were created in the image of God and, you know, they, they didn't have all the genetic mutations and stuff that we deal with. But uh, Cain, uh, I think when we go through our, our, uh, our message today, perhaps your perception of him will be different. But the way of Cain is important because he represents man's effort to come to God on his own terms. Uh, Cain was not an uncouth person, per se. Cain was a worshiper. You need to understand that. And most of the world are worshipers. Now, they may not claim to be, but very small, there's a very small percentage of people in the world that claim to be atheist or agnostic. Most people believe in something, whether it be a higher power um, some other religion, or, or, or the God of self. Some people think that they're their own God, um, that they're the master of their own faith, but uh, their fate. But Cain is a worshiper, so we need to keep that in mind when we study the way of Cain. And uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, but before we do, I think it would be appropriate for us to look in the third chapter of Genesis and just do a uh, kind of a refresher here. And I've got some notes to try to keep me on track because I, I rabbit trail sometimes when I don't have my notes. And so I'm gonna, I want to try to be as concise as possible. Um, Genesis 3 shows us the root of sin. That's the origin. Genesis 4 is going to show us the fruit of it, the, 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 uh, the ongoing effect of it. Um, in Genesis 3, we know that the serpent talked Eve into uh, eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she gave it to Adam, and he ate. Now, she was deceived, but Adam did it with eyes wide open. His was a, his was a deliberate rebellion against God. And here's what happened. <clears throat> uh, in, in Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy that you, you must familiarize yourself with. If you don't understand this scripture, the rest of the Bible won't make sense to you. Everything hinges on this. Uh, God's talking to the serpent here. 
He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Notice the serpent has his own children. By the way, the Bible says that Cain was of the wicked one. It doesn't mean literally that he was a, a child of, of Satan by uh, intercourse, but that he was a, he's a child of the devil spiritually. Notice the seed of the woman, God says, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So uh, there's going to come a seed of the woman that's going to deal a fatal crushing blow to the serpent. And we know who that is, don't we? Jesus Christ. Okay. Now the ground is cursed in verse uh, 17. Now back up to verse uh, 7. Now this is after they had partaken of the fruit. I'm kind of, some of this stuff I got last minute here while, while the choir was singing. Praise God. I've been studying all week. Don't get nervous. I didn't, you know, didn't get my message while the choir was singing. And I didn't download it off the internet. I didn't get it out of somebody's book. But um, verse 7, it says, The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And what, did this, what does the Bible say they did? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. This was the first attempt at religion. This was the first attempt to get right with God. You know, fig leaves. Okay? Now, visually speaking, probably got the job done. I mean, their nakedness was covered. Their, their whatever. Private parts were covered. So, physically, uh, visually speaking, they, they were okay in their eyes. You know, they, they had taken care of the problem. But notice what happens in verse 21. It says, Unto Adam also, unto his wife, did the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. He made coats of skins and clothed them. Okay. Those fig leaves were not sufficient. Man's attempt to get right with God was not going to do. Notice it said the Lord God made the provision. Adam didn't kill the animal. God did. An animal had to die. Blood had to be shed. And this became the covering for Adam and Eve. And I can just imagine them looking at this perhaps bloody carcass wrapped around their waist would have been a constant reminder of the price of sin. All right. Now, one other one other verse, and then we'll get on to chapter 4. We're, we're going to get into the, the meat of it. Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God said, sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from when he was taken. Okay? Adam started out as a farmer. He's still a farmer. Okay? He's still going to be tilling the ground. Verse 24 says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword, which turned every way. Depending on your translation, it'll say to guard the way of tree of life or to keep the way of the tree of life. And we foolishly think that God set this angel here in a flaming sword to keep Adam from sneaking to the tree. Listen, one angel, we know in the Bible, the one angel can kill like over 100,000 people. So if if this is a security system to keep Adam from breaking into the garden, that's overkill. Big time. It's overkill. And I'll leave you to think on the, all the implications of that. But nevertheless, there is this visible, tangible, Shekinah glory of God here at the garden. Okay? And by all indications... This thing was here until the flood of Noah. Okay? Just, I, I'm, I'm laying a foundation here. All right, now let's get to chapter 4. It says, And Adam knew his wife. That's a euphemism for sexual relations. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from 
Jehovah, from the Lord, Yahweh. So we see here a hopeful beginning. Cain is the first baby. Babies are wonderful, aren't they? Full of hope, full of promise. Uh, the Hebrew text from, from the people that I've, I've uh, researched, the Hebrew text actually says, I have gotten a man, Jehovah. And if that is the true, if that's the true rendering in Hebrew, then Eve thinks that Cain is the Messiah. Remember in, Gen in Genesis 3.15, he had promised Eve that her son would destroy the serpent, remember? We just read it. The seed of the woman would destroy the so if the Hebrew is correct here from the scholars that I've read, Eve thinks that Cain is going to be the one. He's going to be the deliverer. She was way off, okay? Her theology was good, but the application of it was wrong, as is often the case. I'm not saying that's what she believed, but nevertheless, it's a hopeful... Be there, there's echoes of hope here, aren't they? People say, well, we see Adam and Eve in heaven? Absolutely. Notice Eve is a worshiper of Jehovah. She... She has acknowledged. Adam and Eve accepted their, their punishment. Yeah, they, they did. And uh, Cain would not. And we're going to see that shortly. The serpent talked Eve into sinning, but even God couldn't talk Cain out of sinning. Let's pray. I forgot to pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Help me to stay out of the way. Don't, don't let me inject my own ideas into the text, Lord. Let it speak for itself. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. If there was ever a time I needed to be filled with your Holy Spirit, it's right now. Empower me, God. You said you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me have a sound mind today to boldly, and clearly declare the word of God. Open our ears to hear what your spirit would say. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 2. And she again bare his brother Abel. Now Cain, the Hebrew Cain, it means to acquire, uh, to be formed. Uh, Abel means vanity. You get over into the book of Ecclesiastes. It's Abel of Abel. Vanity of vanities. So perhaps by the time... Now, there's some that teach that Abel and Cain were twins, but the Bible never says that. I'm going to probably destroy a few myths here this morning. That's okay. I like being the role of myth, playing the role of Mythbuster. But um, they, they, it's possible they were twins, but the Bible doesn't say that. Cain was the firstborn, obviously. Uh, Abel, his name means vanity. And perhaps, perhaps... There's some space of time in between Cain and Abel, and she realizes that Cain is not going to be the Messiah. He's probably already demonstrating certain characteristics. And Abel, she expresses through uh, the vanity. Life is short, folks. His, Abel's name means life is short. Last night, we got two disturbing phone calls. And I wasn't going to share this, but I feel like I need to. Um, the first call we got was, was Peyton calling us. <laughs> and the first thing she said is, Mom, don't worry, I'm okay. How many of you know you don't want to get that phone call? I mean, you're glad to get it, <laughs> but that's not the phone call. That's not how you want the conversation to start out. Is Mom, I'm okay. I don't want you to worry. Uh, her and her friend had been in a head-on collision yesterday, and they're both fine. They were checked out. So we praise God for that. Praise God for that. But about 11 o'clock last night, I got another phone call, and that one didn't turn out so good. I found out that a good friend of mine, uh, he died. He left behind three sons. Uh, one is uh, grown in the military, and, and, but he's got two young boys that are twins. Don't know anything about the nature of it. Don't know any details, but that was a very disturbing phone call to receive late at night. But it reminded me of the brevity of life. And listen, folks, you never know. I just talked to my friend this week. And the last words he said to me were, I love you, Henry. I said, I love you too, buddy. You never know. When you leave home, if it'll be the last time you see that person. Tell the people you love that you love them. Hug their necks. 
forgive. This is not a time to hold grudges. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering. Notice he respected the man and the offering. Can't separate the worshiper from the worship. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. So notice you can't separate the man from the offering, the worship from the worshiper. And Cain was very wroth, the King James says. The Hebrew word is karah, and it means blazing, glowing anger. He was, he was furious. He was <laughs> outraged. And the Bible says his countenance fell. He was visibly upset. Okay, let's unpack some of these. And I wrote down four theories here, five theories. I'm going to give you the first four, and then I'm going to give you what I think is the right one, okay? Um, if you're outlining, uh, the first point here is reasons for rejection, the reason for Cain's rejection. Uh, the, first, the first theory is that he was rejected because he was uh, able as a shepherd, and that's a noble profession, and uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground, and the ground is cursed, remember? But Cain has the same occupation that his father did. There's nothing wrong with tilling the ground. You do realize, I hope, that it wasn't until Genesis chapter 9, when Noah came off the flood, that men were able to eat meat. Up until that point, man was only allowed to eat vegetables. So Cain's occupation was necessary. Because if you can't eat animals... You sure need somebody to till the ground, amen? And in case you're wondering, I do like high-acid ripe tomatoes in the summertime <laughs> with Duke's mayonnaise and salt and pepper <laughs> on a toasted bun. Okay. So the, but that's one theory. I think it's the wrong one. Um, so what about a shepherd? What would a shepherd do? Well, the shepherd, he would raise these animals for uh, their skins, their, their fur or whatever, their milk, but also for sacrifice. And we'll get to that. The second theory is, well, uh, Cain brought the fruit of the ground, and, therefore, and the ground was cursed according to Genesis 3.17. And so God didn't accept it because it came out of the ground. But later on we see God accepting grain offerings uh, in the law of Moses. So I don't think that's the right one either. The third one actually has some merit, and I'm going to take some time on this one. <clears throat> the third theory is that Cain's offering was rejected because it was inferior. Because the Bible says that Abel brought of the firstlings of the flock. And so the idea behind this theory is that Abel brought the best of the best, and Cain brought the leftovers, like that dented can of rutabagas that you donate to the food pantry. I don't need it anymore. Let's give it to the Lord. Right? <laughs> That's the idea. The, the only problem with that is the Bible never says that Cain brought an inferior offering. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hypothesize here that Cain probably brought a beautiful offering. I think... Now, Abel's offering... Didn't require a whole lot of hard work on his part, did it? Just cut the neck of the, slit the throat of the, the animal. But Cain's offering required a lot of effort. Because remember, the ground's cursed. By the way, work is not sinful. God instituted work before the fall. Adam had a job. A lot of folks like to argue about the Sabbath day. And, and I'm not going to get into all that mess this, this morning. But, you know, whatever your position is on the Sabbath, everybody wants to argue about when the Sabbath day is, but they neglect the first part of it where it says six days you shall work. If you're not working and you're able, you're in, you're in violation of God's word. The Bible says if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. That's, I mean, that's Bible for you. The Bible never says that Cain's offering was inferior. I, I, I actually think he probably put a lot of effort into it. 
I think he probably worked really hard. And I think that's why he was so doggone mad. It's because he had done all this work to produce this beautiful offering. Probably lush. Again, I'm just, just indulge me here. Maybe lush vegetables and fruits. And, and he, it was just a beautiful presentation. To, bother, to borrow the words of Gordon Ramsay, his plating was impeccable. <laughs> and that's about all I can quote from him because he doesn't talk nice. But um, I imagine Cain's pr presentation was beautiful. And I imagine it was the fruit of his labor. It had been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to go into this offering. And he thought, for sure, God's going to accept this. Look at what I've done. Are you starting to get a feeling for this? Look at what I've done, God. Surely you'll accept this. I'm going to debunk this theory. I'm going to read some scriptures. You don't have to turn there. If you'll just trust me to read them, I'm reading them straight out, straight out of the Word of God. Uh, you know, if you want to check up on me, you please do. <laughs> I, I always invite you to check up on my teaching. Don't believe it just because I said it. It doesn't happen too often, but occasionally I am wrong. Just ask Lori. You don't believe it. But she's wrong too sometimes. Usually more than I am. <laughs> we did ride separately to church this morning, so I don't need an Uber. I'm safe. <laughs> That's right. Now, number 16, there's an incident there. There's a guy named Korah. And he decides that Moses doesn't need to be in charge. He needs to be in charge. And every once in a while, that kind of stuff happens in the church. You know, God's called somebody to do something, but somebody else thinks they can do a better job. And, and I'll talk about Korah some, and it, it'll be y'all will just thoroughly enjoy it when I do. I, and I said that tongue-in-cheek because you'll hate it. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, in number 1615... It says, Moses was very wroth. It's that same word, karah. But Moses has righteous indignation. And he says unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. So in this particular instance, they are offering an offering that God prescribed. It was the right offering with the wrong attitude. And do you know what happened to Korah and his company? The ground swallowed them up. Which is interesting because the ground swallows Abel's blood in this narrative here too. Um, Proverbs 21, 27 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he brings it with a wicked mind? Okay. So the Bible does say that we can bring the right offering with the wrong attitude. Okay. And we can. It, I like to say it this way. We can do the right thing for the wrong reason sometimes. Jesus went through that in the Sermon on the Mount. I can pray, but I can do it with wrong motives. I can give. I can do it with wrong motives. I can fast with wrong motives. <clears throat> so that's, that's the theory, is that uh, the heart was not right. Right sacrifice, but the heart was not right. The problem is, I don't think that's going to hold up either. So let's look at what I believe is the correct interpretation of this. Now, how many times do you think Adam and Eve had sat down at the table with Cain and Abel and had talked to them about what it was like to be in paradise and for it all to go up in smoke? I imagine that was probably something they had talked about many times. And I imagine they probably said, yeah, the first thing that we did after we ate from that tree is we made some fig leaves. And we covered ourselves with that. But God killed an animal and covered us with that. Blood had to be shed. So now let's look, let's look at the offering. Notice in verse 3, and I promise I'm really belaboring the point here. The rest of the chapter is going to go quickly. In, in verse 3 it says, In the process of time, 
The Hebrew actually says at the end of days. Okay. The King James gives the indication that it's a, some indeterminate, indiscriminate time period. The Hebrew actually says at the end of days or at the appointed time. Now, whether it was the harvest time or many commentators believe it was the Sabbath day. It was at the end of days, the end of the week. But it was, a, it was an appointed time to bring the offering. And I want you to notice that it says that Cain brought the offering unto the Lord. Do you see that? So that means there was a place that he brought the offering to. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you that the most logical place for anyone to bring sacrifice would have been to that gate where the glory of God is, where the visible Shekinah presence of the glory of God was. I'm just going to suggest that to you. you. You don't have to accept that if you don't want to. But, but to me, that's the most logical place. We know later on in the, in the Word of God that God says you cannot offer at any place that you want to. You have to go to the appointed place that I tell you. Okay? Are you all with, you all with me here still? There's no reason to believe that God did, does things any differently now. Okay, so I, I'm going to suggest to you that by the time Cain brings his offering, and this may not have been the first time Cain offered. We're not told that this is the first time that he offered. We're not told that. That's an argument from silence. I'm going to suggest to you that Cain and Abel knew about animal sacrifice. And they knew exactly what was required. Have you ever read over in the book of, uh, of Hebrews uh, Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Have you ever read that? How does faith come? By hearing. It says, By faith Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice. I believe Abel knew what he was supposed to offer. It wasn't that he just said, Oh, I'm a shepherd, I'll offer a sheep. It's that a sheep was required. Okay. Are y'all still with me? Okay. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. It, interesting to me, and, and, and while the choir was singing, uh, one of the lines in the song is a wonderful, merciful Savior. I love how the Holy Spirit does this. I said, Lori, grab your pen right quick, and I, I need to write this down. Who would have thought that a lamb would rescue the sons of men. Jesus Christ is called the Lamb slain from when? Foundation of the world, huh? The offering of a lamb was in the mind of God before the Garden of Eden ever transpired. You see that? He's the Lamb slain. And even you get to the end of the book, to the book of Revelation there, and we see again the Lamb triumphant. A Lamb as it had been slain. Oh, glory to God for the Lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember what Abraham said to Isaac on Mount Moriah? God will provide himself what? A Lamb. How did Abraham know this? Well, I think God told him. I think this had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. They knew what they were supposed to bring. Something curious about verse 4 that jumped out at me. Abel bought of the firstlings of the flock. Okay, that's pretty evident to me. Do you see anything there that seems just a little bit superfluous? Say it louder. You got it right. The fat. Well, what in the world is that all about? Glad you asked. <laughs> Maybe you want to see this. Maybe you want to turn here with me. Go with me to, to uh, um, first of all, Numbers chapter 18. Now, there's a long period of time between Adam and the law of Moses, okay? But that doesn't mean when the law of Moses came into being that everything that, that Moses talked about was a new concept. Are you in Numbers 18? All right. It's the fourth book of the Old Testament. 
All right, but it says in verse 17, but the firstling of a cow or the firstling of a sheep, that's what Abel offered, right? Or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. In other words, you, you're not to pay money and keep it for yourself. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their what? Blood upon the altar and shall burn their what? Fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Okay. I'm getting excited talking about fat. Let's go to Leviticus now. Back up, <laughs> um, back up to Leviticus, which is the third book of the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 3. Leviticus 3. Are you there? Verse 16. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. All the fat is the Lord's. And all of us fat people say, praise God. I knew I came to church for a blessing here today. I belong to the Lord. No, that's not what it's saying. <laughs> it shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you neither eat fat nor blood. Now, we're not under the dietary restrictions of the Levitical system, praise God, because I like barbecue and I like shellfish, but you know what? The doctors will confirm what God told them in the beginning, you know? That's just bad for you. It is. Are you still in Leviticus? Uh, yeah, you, you should be. Uh, go to chapter 9. Leviticus 9. Leviticus 9. I'm going to start reading verse 22. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came out a, what? Fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the what? Same thing Abel offered. Which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Okay? So I think that God had told Abel and Cain and probably their parents, Adam and Eve, because they witnessed the first death of an animal, that the death of an innocent animal and its blood and its fat must be presented. And that verse that we just read, it says that the fire came down and consumed the offering. That's how Cain and Abel knew whether their offering was accepted or not, I believe. And I, could, I don't have time to get into all that. But I can show you at least five or six examples where God demonstrated he accepted the offering by allowing fire to come down and consume it. Think about Elijah, um, Gideon, Samson's parents, on and on. So that's how Cain knew. We wonder, how did Cain know that God didn't respect his offering? It's because the fire didn't come down. Remember when Elijah called the fire down? The false prophets tried it, and what happened? Nothing. But when Elijah did it, and he poured water on it, just for a you know, dramatic effect, God consumed his sacrifice. Okay? Are we still tracking together on this? The book of Hebrews uh, speaks a lot about blood, doesn't it? Uh, contrast of, uh, of Abel's blood. Um, Hebrews 12, 24 says, and y'all go ahead and make your way over to Hebrews while I'm talking. <laughs> it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, go to Hebrews 9, that speaks better things than that of Abel. So Abel and blood, you know, his blood was shed on the ground. The, there's a contrast between the blood of Christ and the blood of Abel, but blood is a powerful motif with the story of Abel. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Now, now, if you've been with us on our Wednesday night study, this will be old hat to you. But if you haven't, you may, realize, you may hear something that's going to blow your mind today. Hebrews 9, 22. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin is the implication here. It was therefore necessary, look at this, that the patterns of the things in the heavens, that's the tabernacle, which was a copy, a type, if you will, should be purified with these. But notice this. 
but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Did you know that heaven had to be cleansed? That's what the text says right here. Heaven had to be cleansed. And the reason it had to be cleansed is because there was sin in heaven in Lucifer. So when Jesus died, his blood not only cleanses us, but it cleansed the heavenly tabernacle. That's powerful right there. So you tell me this. If the heavens had to be cleansed with blood, do you think God would have just left Cain and Abel to their own devices just to come up with their own scheme for offering an offering? No way. No way. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, let's go back to Genesis. Let me say this while we're turning back to Genesis 4. No one will be in hell because of sin. Because all the people in this church, preacher included, have sin. Nobody will be in hell because of sin. That's, that's where the world gets it all wrong. People will be in hell because they refuse God's provision for sin. They refuse Jesus. That is what will send a person to hell. It's not God's arbitrary choice. It's not the fact that they, you know, have issues in their life because we all have issues. It's not the issue of sin uh, in, that, in that way, but it is rejecting God's provision of sin. That's exactly what Cain did. Cain rejected God's provision for forgiveness. And he said, I'll come my own way. I'll do it my own way. All right, that's, that's the rejection of Cain. Let's look now at his response, the response of Cain. That's point number two if you're keeping score. And the next few points will go real quick. I've only got three. <clears throat> and the Lord, verse 6, said unto Cain, Why are you blazing hot angry? Why are you wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? I think it's interesting that God addresses both both responses that Cain had, both his attitude and his countenance. I also think it's interesting that God uh, even takes the time to dialogue with him. <laughs> I love the scripture in Isaiah, it's in the first chapter. The Lord says, come, let us reason together. Our God is reasonable. Now, that doesn't mean we can talk him into doing what we want him to do, but it means we can come into agreement with what he said and we can find forgiveness. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be white as wool. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 7, if you do well, shall you not be accepted? Cain was not doomed from the start. Cain had a hopeful beginning. And even now, even now, God says to Cain, he says, if you do right, will you not be accepted? That's what God is saying to some of you here today. Maybe you've rejected the gospel a thousand times, but God says, you know what? If you'll just accept me today, you can have all your sins forgiven. Maybe you've fought with me. Maybe you've come up with a thousand reasons before today why you can't serve me, why it's unreasonable. But God says, I'm willing to just put that all behind us. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that? God is saying to Cain, he says, Cain, I'm willing to just put it all behind us. You can put your past behind you today. You don't have to walk out of here the same way you came in. You can leave your sin and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many times you, I don't care if you're a member of this church. I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you're a, a, a worship leader. I don't care if you uh, teach Sunday school. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you and I accept that provision for our sin. However, he says, if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. The, the imagery in the Hebrew is literally of a crouching animal. And we know from the New Testament about Satan, uh, Peter says that he, is, he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we know that all too well, don't we? I mean, sin is always looking to trip us up. Unto you shall be his desire. 
This, this language is reminiscent of the upper room where Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has no good plan for you. No good plan for you. His plan is to destroy your life and ultimately to take you to hell with him. That's all he wants. You shall rule over him. You must master this. Verse 8 says, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. We don't know what he talked about. Did he relay what God had just told him? I don't know. Some, some commentators believe that he lured Abel into the field so he could murder him. I don't know. But whatever the conversation was, the outcome was tragic. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and slew him. This is the first murder by a human. Now, Jesus said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, so I guess Cain is actually the second murderer, but uh, he's the first human murderer. Now, here God comes to Cain in verse 9, just like he did with Adam. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He's not looking for information. God doesn't learn things. He knows exactly where Cain is, excuse me, where Abel is. And now, Cain tells the first lie by a human. Satan's already lied. But here's the first lie. He said, I don't know. Isn't that the, the audacity to think you can lie to God? Remember, he's got a lot of family history, right? I mean, he knows, he knows the consequences of sinning against God. At least Adam... You know, he made excuses, but at least he didn't lie about it. And he accepted his punishment. But he lied. He said, I don't know. And then he dismisses God's question. I want you to see this. He said, am I my brother's keeper? The impudence here is he views God's question as being uh, inappropriate. How dare you question me? Am I my brother's keeper? He's angry. He's, he's so angry, isn't he? You know, I praise God that the, uh, the Roe versus Wade thing was, was, was overturned. Doesn't make up for the millions of babies whose blood still cries from the ground. But did you notice immediately when that happened? The fury and the rage of the world. Why? We can't kill babies anymore. And so we're furious about it. The spirit of Cain is alive and well, folks. I found this to be true. The folks that preach tolerance, the moment you buck them, they're ready to kill you. The same ones that preach, well, we just love everybody, we just love and accept everybody. When you tell them, you confront them with their sin, they're ready to burn down your city. They're ready to loot and steal. They're ready to violently protest, not peacefully protest, violently protest. The spirit of Cain is alive and well. How do I know if I'm in the way of Cain? I'll tell you, real easy. If God's word makes you angry, you're in the way of Cain. I didn't say if the preacher hurts your feelings. I said if the preacher is preaching the word of God and it makes you angry, you are in the way of Cain. <laughs> now, I've been living with this text all week long, Sharon. I mean, I'm ready to study something else. The story of Cain is tragic. I've been in this thing all week long. But, but you know what I can see? I can see some, some, some tendencies in Cain and myself. And it scares me. Don't like it. But you know what? I'm not mad. God's word. Listen, before I ever get up here to preach to you, trust me, God has taken me to the woodshed all week long with whatever I'm preaching. And sometimes I need to hear it worse than you do. But it doesn't make me mad. Hey, if a man of God's preaching the truth, let him bring it. Come on. If he, hurt, if he hurts my feelings, fine, because I know ultimately it's going to heal me if I'll accept it. But Cain was angry. In verse 10, God said, what have you done? Again, he's not looking for, for information. He's looking for a confession. 
Two times now we've seen the grace of God. Number one, he approaches Cain after he's angry and is pouting. That's the way of the world, isn't it? I don't get my way and I pout. And then secondly, even after, even after he's killed his brother, God still comes to him looking for a confession. And I truly believe this. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. I believe that if Cain had said, God, forgive me, I sinned, I believe God would have forgiven him. Just because I know the nature of my God. Murder is not the unforgivable sin. Your brother's blood, the voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. Now, Jesus says that Abel was a prophet. I gave you all a homework assignment and nobody took me up on it. So you're not getting a lollipop. But Jesus said that Abel was the first prophet. But I believe that Abel's prophecy came after his death. In the, his, his blood was crying out from the ground. And I understand this is metaphorical language here. Um, but it does make you wonder, doesn't it? What about all those millions of babies that have been aborted over the last several decades? Do you think their blood doesn't cry out from the ground? I didn't say fetuses. I said babies. Let me take you over to the pregnancy center. You need to be praying for them, by the way. Uh, this group has already threatened to, a, to, to do vandalism and damage and harm to the pregnancy centers. They're just there to help the women. They're not there to do anything to hurt, to hurt them. But they'll take you over. And in the earliest days of conception, you can hear that heartbeat just a thumping away. And, and those organs are not all fully developed, but they're there. Verse 11, now you are cursed from the earth. Here's where uh, there's a divergence from Adam's story. In Adam's story, he was not cursed. The ground was cursed. We've got the first lie, first murder, and now we have the first person who's cursed. You were cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Warren Wiersbe says this, A vagabond has no home. A fugitive is running from home. A stranger is away from home. But a pilgrim is heading home. You and I are strangers and pilgrims. Our, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, what, a, what a terrible thing if you're a farmer, though, to know that you can't farm anymore. Now, some of you farmers might say, oh, that'd be a blessing. <laughs> it's hard farming, it's hard work. But what if you were a farmer and God says, you're not going to be able to do that anymore? I will tell you this, I don't care who you are, if you reject God, nothing in your life is going to bring you any lasting pleasure. That's why we see people going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, don't we? It's because they're trying to find satisfaction, and, the, and they're not going to find any satisfaction outside of God. God designed it that way, folks. You were created to worship your creator. And if you don't worship God, I trust me, you'll worship something. It might not be a statue. It might be a hobby. You might, you'll worship a hobby. Or you'll worship money. Or you'll worship sex. Or you'll worship whatever. Worship other people. Worship celebrities. We worship athletes. So, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> Have you ever seen how people act in the stadium? It could, be, it could be 30 degrees below in Green Bay and some fool's going to be out there with his shirt off and his, his torso painted green and yellow. And, and for good measure, he'll have a styrofoam block of cheese on his head. <laughs> oh, no, he's not fanatical. He doesn't worship sports. Okay, I can't, I, I can't afford to be goofy here. Let's, let's, let's go back to the text. Verse 13, Cain says unto God, Jehovah. Now, what he should have said is, my sin is more than I can bear. But he didn't, did he? He said, the consequences of my sin. My punishment is more than I can bear. Those are the echoes of the world, my friend. Those are the echoes of the unbeliever. There are those that would say, when you preach the Bible to them, they'll say, that's not fair. What about all those people all over the world who are sincere? You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. What about all those people who pray to Mecca? However many times a day they do it. 
They're real diligent. What about the, the Buddhist who's disciplined in his disciplines? What about, the, what about the good person who donates money, who's a philanthropist, who helps charitable causes? What about that guy? That's not fair. That's what Cain is saying. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth. And notice he adds something. I don't think God said this, but he says, from your face shall I be hid. Notice that, that was Cain's perception of his judgment. I don't think God said that to him. but He said, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Now that's ironic, isn't it? Up until now, the only one who's ever killed anybody is him. Here's what I found to be true. Evil people assume that everybody else is evil too. People who lie all the time, they always accuse you of lying. People who cheat all the time, they'll accuse you of cheating because they expect you to do what they would do in that situation. Listen to me. I'm preaching the truth. When somebody's overly accusatory about stuff, I start saying, okay, what's going on with you? Because that never entered into my mind. Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. We shouldn't have to be swearing. Do you swear on the Bible that's true? No, I just told you it's true. All right. Now here again we see the mercy of God. Verse 15. And Jehovah said unto him, Therefore whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. There's that perfect number. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now, volumes of commentaries have been written about what the mark of Cain was. And I'm here to tell you, nobody knows. We don't know what the mark of Cain was. Whatever it was, it was a symbol of God's mercy and protection. It was God's mercy to Cain. Whatever the mark was, it was God's mercy on his life. I do, I do find it interesting, though, that when we get to the last, the, 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 the end part of the tribulation period, the Antichrist does something similar, though, doesn't he? He marks people with his mark, the mark of the beast. <clears throat> all right, now we look at verse 16, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Notice it didn't say God left him. It says Cain left him. If you don't feel like God is present in your life, I'm going to suggest to you that God didn't leave you. You left him. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. We don't know where Nod is, but the, the, the meaning of the word Nod means wandering. So now we're going to look at the results of Cain's punishment now really quickly. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife. Again, there's a euphemism for sexual intimacy in the marriage. She conceived and bare Enoch. Now he's different. This is not the same Enoch we talked about last week. That Enoch was the seventh from Adam on Seth's line. This is Cain's son, Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. This is interesting to me. Now, what is Cain's punishment? He's to be a wanderer, isn't he? He's to be a fugitive, a vagabond. But even in, even in the building of the city, we see he's trying somehow, some way to put down some kind of roots, isn't he? He's trying to put together to forge some kind of a lasting legacy. I want you to hear me carefully, folks. Folks are trying their best in this world to cement some kind of a lasting legacy. Built the city. Now, we're not to envision skyscrapers here, I don't think. Uh, modern technology. But he built the city, and that shows that there were a lot of people on earth at that time, too. But he built a city. And I imagine that city had everything but the one thing it needed, and that's God. He built a city. <laughs> you see, Abraham, by contrast, Abraham, he didn't dwell in a house. He didn't build a city. It says that Abraham was looking for a city. He dwelt in tents with, with, with Isaac and Jacob. 
He looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was looking for a city, but Cain built one. The tragedy of that is that city would not last beyond seven generations. There's no more mention of Cain. All of that would be wiped out in the flood of Noah. Some people say, well, that's not fair. Cain murdered somebody. Capital punishment was not instituted until Genesis chapter 9 with Noah. And by the way, it's never been taken away either. But I'll just leave that where, where it is. But um, God didn't institute capital punishment. So some people say, well, that's not fair. Uh, Cain should have been murdered. He murdered his brother. Well, that's not the end of the story. Eventually, Cain died. And Cain would face God on his merit of his own works. And if he rejected the provision of God's forgiveness, he's, he's in the lake of fire or he's in hell right now. Okay. Now unto Enoch was born Ered, verse 18. And Ered begat Mahujael. And Mahujael begat Methuselah. You'll notice some similarity with the names of the line of Seth. I don't know what inference, if any, we can draw from that. Probably none. And Methuselah begat Lamech. All right. Now, and, to La and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, it means adornment. And the name of the other was Zillah, which means shade. So Cain's descendant here, the sixth from Cain, the seventh from Adam on Cain's side, he decided he was going to do away with God's design for marriage. And he was going to come up with his own system of marriage. Now, it's interesting. Lamech is the seventh from Adam on Cain's side. Are you with me? Who's the seventh from Adam on Seth's side? I preached on him last week. Not Methuselah. It's Enoch. So Enoch, bear with me here. I'm coming to a close. I'm coming to the runway. Some of you got the like, circle of plane. I'm coming. Berlin. Enoch and Lamech were contemporaries. Okay? Lamech decided that he, remember Enoch is a picture of the church taken out in the heaven. A last days figure, if you will. An apocalyptic figure. But his contemporary was Lamech. Enoch's contemporary was Lamech. And Lamech decided he was going to go against the created order and have his own ideas about marriage and sexuality. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and that's that whole period, that antediluvian period there, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. We are living in an era where Satan is challenging everything that God instituted in the garden. Male, female, marriage between one man and one woman. The spirit of Lamech has fallen on this generation. And Ada bare Yabal. He was the father of such dwelling tents and such as have cattle. So apparently he didn't like the city life. He wanted to live a rancher. Notice it says he's the father. It doesn't just say that he was a shepherd or a rancher. He's the father. So these guys are men of renown. These guys are uh, pioneers of industry. Well known. Dare I say famous. And his brother's name was Yubal. And he was the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. So we've got the pioneer of, of uh, shepherding, ranching life, and also the pioneer of musical instruments. So they've got entertainment. But none of those things are wrong, by the way. We're, we're looking at common grace here. The, these are things that God has given man the ability to create to, to make his life more enjoyable. Um, and Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain. And he was an instructor of every um, artificer, easy for me to say. He was a smith. 
This was, this was the earliest stages of metallurgy. It's interesting to me that he was an artificer in brass and iron. That's early on. Brass and iron, that's, that's early on. And we think those people were dumb. They were a bunch of cavemen. Me, me, Tarzan, you, Jane. No, come on. These guys were brilliant. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Here's a song. He's going to sing a song. It's a song of rebellion and defiance. I want you to see the progression of evil. Do you see it? Evil is not only tolerated, but now it's celebrated. That's the world you live in. We live in a world where good is called evil and evil is called good. And the Bible says that, that Cain hated Abel because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. The world is going to hate you because you're a rebuke to their lifestyle. Just your existence is raining on their parade. And they can't wait for us to be gone. And praise God, one of those days it's going to happen. And you think things are bad now. Listen, the church is here right now. But when the trumpet sounds, this place is going to become hell on earth. Look at everything that happens anytime there's a natural disaster. Anytime there's a hurricane, a flood, any kind of horrible thing, what's the first thing that happens? People start looting, burning, killing. It's going to be like that times the umpteenth power when the tribulation is ushered in. You don't want to live in that world. But that's the world that we're on the precipice of experiencing. It is. Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. You can hear his pride just dripping. He's filled with pride. Listen unto my speech. I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. So notice, he celebrates the fact that he was cruel. His justice was not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. His justice was, if you wound me, I'll kill you. That's the spirit of the world, by the way. And that spirit is alive and well. The devil is threatening us. The devil wants us to be intimidated, to cower from every segment of society. The world, listen, the whole world is in the lap of the devil. You don't understand that, but, but you need to. The media, outlets, everything is in control of the devil. And they don't want the, the Christian to have any discourse in public. None whatsoever. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, Truly, Lamech, 70 and sevenfold. Now, if you're a student of the New Testament, that ought to echo. Remember Peter came to Jesus? He said, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? Sounds like a good round number, doesn't it? <laughs> but Jesus said, nope. How many? So we are to see an antithesis here. Whereas Lamech was cruel, full of vengeance and unforgiving, the Christian is to be gracious. And forgiving. So that's the world of Cain. That's the story of Cain. You almost wonder why God even bothered to put Cain's genealogy in here. Because with only within a few, a few years, the flood will come, and every single thing that Cain and his descendants had ever tried to, to build as a lasting legacy, as a monument, would be destroyed in the flood. Jesus said there's two kinds of people in the world. There's a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the floods come and the winds blow, and they beat on that house, but that house won't fall because it's founded upon a rock. But then there's a foolish man, and he builds his house on the sand. All of his efforts, all of his energy. And listen, folks, I'm not diminishing the hard work of people. I'm sure there's a lot of decent, hardworking, generous people in hell right now. 
And they're there, not because they're such terrible people, but because they didn't build their house on the rock. They refused the provision. Jesus Christ, I, I can't tell you how strongly, how strongly I felt I needed to preach on Cain this week. If you think for a minute that you're going to be able to get to heaven, stand before God, and give him some kind of excuse why he should let you in, I'm here to tell you right now, you will not, be gain, you will not gain entrance to the tree of life. You won't. You will hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. But the good news, this is the good news. Let's end on a high note, shall we? Let's stand. Here's the good news. Just as God was pleading with Cain, God's pleading with you today. The mercy of God he says, I don't care what you've done. You say, well, Henry, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know. God knows everything. But there's not one sin. Listen to me very carefully. There is not one sin that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive. Not 10 sins, not 20, not 30 or 50. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive. And his blood has been shed. God has already provided the lamb. That's, it's done. God has done everything he's ever going to do about providing for your salvation. It's finished. That's what Jesus meant when he was on that cross. And he said, it is finished. It's done. Your responsibility and my responsibility is to accept that finished work of Christ. God's standard is perfection. Only one man has ever been perfect, Jesus. And his blood is now on the mercy seat in heaven. And if we come to him in faith, he will wash away every sin. And you can leave here justified by faith. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today may be the last day. I had no idea when I was talking to my buddy this week, it'd be the last time we'd ever talk. I don't know if he knew or not. Had no idea. He had just lost a bunch of weight. Worked out every day. He said, Henry, I go to the gym every single day working out. By all indications, he was as healthy as he had ever been. We never know. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you're a believer here today. You've been going through the motions. God, I'm going to sing. I'm going to give an offering. I'm going to attend church. Listen, you don't gain any points by coming to church. God doesn't say, oh, they went to church today. Good for them. God wants you to worship him from your heart. He doesn't just want your attendance. He wants you. He doesn't just want your money. He wants you. Completely. Maybe you're a believer that's been going through the motions today. Maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Just like there's a new beginning for the sinner who turns to Christ, there's a new beginning for the believer. 1 John 1, 9 is written to believers. If we confess our sin, the believer, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to this altar. Would you come?